Welcome to The Rebound, where we'll explore the issues facing supply chain managers as our industry gets back up and running in a post-COVID world. This podcast is hosted by Abe Eskenazi, CEO of the Association for Supply Chain Management, and Bob Troublecock, Editorial Director of Supply Chain Management Review. Remember that Abe and Bob welcome your comments. Now to today's episode. Welcome to today's episode of The Rebound, Reinventing Last Mile Delivery. I'm Bob Troublecock. And I'm Abe Eskenazi. And joining us today is Charles Jolly. Charles is the CEO of Herb E, a last mile delivery startup. Charles, welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. We're thrilled to have you here. Abe, I don't know how things look in your neighborhood, but even in the small town in New Hampshire where I live, there's a caravan of UPS, USPS, and FedEx trucks making deliveries seven days a week and sometimes as late as 10 p.m. I've gotten up many a morning to find a package delivered after I went to bed on my back porch. It's hard to imagine congestion on the streets of a rural town of just 20,000, but I'm forever driving around delivery vans parked on the street. So enter Herb E. Now, we don't often have solution providers as guests on The Rebound, but Startup has a completely different take on last mile delivery, and that seemed worth exploring. If nothing else, what they're doing at Herb E is an illustration of the innovation going on in the supply chain. Let's get started. Before we talk about Herb E, Walk us through the current landscape of last mile delivery. And from your perspective, what's happening in the space? What are the limitations? And what led you to believe there's got to be a better way? Yeah, so I think everybody knows from the pandemic that the volume of deliveries has really increased a lot. The the latest estimates is it jumped around 30% in 2020. It's growing around 15% a year. And you know, that's on a base of 60 billion packages that are delivered every year outside of China. So 15% a year growth on that base is just phenomenal, phenomenal increase. And the last leg of delivery, the last 24 hours, what a lot of people call the last mile, is the part that has always been the most expensive. And it's the highest impact because it's very visible. It's on your street, especially when you have more and more delivery companies adopting these sort of gig economy models for People might be showing up with a few packages in a car instead of a big truck full of packages. So, you know, it's it's really put everybody who's trying to do deliveries under a lot of pressure. First, you have consumers that are asking for more and more things to be brought to their homes. Uh, And so, you know, these companies have to expand. We've already had a lot of instances of big companies like UPS and FedEx at some points of the year just saying they're done. No more. They can't take any more volume. Um, and then, and then you have all these new companies popping up to try to fill that meet that need. And then on top of that, you have pressure coming from cities who are hearing complaints from their citizens about all of this traffic that's being generated. And especially in more dense environments, it's creating a, a massive pressure. And then on top of that, you have carbon targets, which now a lot of companies are taking very seriously. Their end customers, even consumers, are asking for green delivery. And so these three three competing pressures have really combined to to create a lot of new force for innovation in this space. And you know, it's it's really kind of the key, I think, element. We we hear a lot about supply chain issues with with ships and and logistics coming from China. That's a, a little bit more of a um, an issue of you know blockages and disruptions happening to COVID. But the last mile is a is a structural problem where there are really major changes that will need to happen here to both meet the demand of consumers and the demand of cities and, and regulations in order to, to scale. 
Charles, a follow-up to that. Would this have been possible without the pandemic? We know that e-commerce has taken on a significant portion of the consumer's you know, purchasing power right now, and it's only accelerating. Yeah. So did, was this an opportunity prior to the pandemic or only accelerated because of the pandemic? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, the funny thing is, so I I joined Derby initially as an investor in 2019. The founders, Peter and Sven, had been working on this for a number of years. And the reason I got involved was I'd been in the tech industry and uh, they were they were basically doing pilot after pilot with a number of really big e-commerce companies and shipping providers. And, and in 2019, you know, I would say we thought the opportunity here is some very big providers in some very dense cities are going to need to find a better way than using trucks. And then the, the pandemic hit and, and it totally changed the opportunity set for everybody. Definitely accelerated it, but, but I think actually more than accelerated, the other really big change is it's changed the expectations of most societies. I mean, China has always been sort of like this for many years, but you know, most people didn't think about delivery as like, they, they kind of assumed if you live in a city, you go to the places where the things are. And I think now we have this growing expectation that when you live in a city, the city should kind of come to you. So it's both accelerated it, but it's really dramatically changed the expectations of the average person about what delivery should do for them and how often they should be getting it done. Really interesting. So again, the concept, as you indicated, was, you know, in play prior to the pandemic. So uh, give yeah. the readers or you know, give the listeners a little bit of a sense of what you're doing differently. I mean, I've got an e-bike. Why can't I get into the business, Charles? Give me a sense of the technology and why you're different today. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people have actually been exploring this idea of how do we get away from big trucks and vans? And so, you know, if you look around, especially in, in China and in Europe, you'll see a lot of people trying to do like small electric e-bikes and things like that. There are two big issues that caused us to really land on the solution we use for Irby. One is, like I said, 60 billion packages. You can't, you know, if you're going to achieve efficiency, you really have to focus on being able to move a lot of packages at once, even if you're using a small vehicle. So, so you know, a, a small, uh, your typical e-bike, for example, even if it has a trailer or something attached, maybe you can move about 200 or 300 pounds. That seems like a lot, but you know when you break it down into boxes, that might be ten boxes. It's just not very much. Um, Irby's can pull uh, our small electric vehicles. They have a custom built bike and trailer system that can pull over eight hundred pounds of cargo. And the second innovation is is containerization, and which I'll get into in just a second. But between those two combined, it means that one of our small vehicles in a single day can deliver the same volume of packages as a large truck. So, so that was kind of point one for us was realizing that if you're going to actually approach the density of these real vehicles, you need to build something that's designed to be used 16 hours a day with a lot of weight and day in and day out, you know, rain or shine, right? Which the, the e-bike that you buy at home, that's not what it's built for. It's meant to be cheap and fast and used for commuting every day for a few hours. So very different kind of approach to just everything from the ground up and how you design the product. And then the second thing, and this was really, I think, what's what's come to define Irby, the big insight we had is if you're going to build these small vehicles, the only way they work is if they stay in the neighborhood where you assign them. So if I'm in Manhattan, I can never leave Manhattan. These can't go onto highways. 
I, I have to stay in Long Beach or downtown LA or or even just like a suburb, right? Like a Burbank or something like that. And in order to efficiently move that cargo between those cities, we're really stealing an idea from shipping, which is containers. So we have this whole system of small, they're foldable so they can you know, sit in the back of a store or something like that, but they're small containers that you can pack out at the edge of a city at a distribution center where normally packages come from, or you can pack them in the back of a grocery store so, or, or coffee shop. So they're really great for enabling local delivery. But because you can move these containers around and they're so efficient and so fast to swap, it allows you to deploy these small electric vehicles and actually exceed the volume and the, the capability and the efficiency of a gas van. And, and the analogy I always use here is the internet. You know, um, before, before the internet became a real thing, the main way of sharing information digitally was through point-to-point connections. You literally get a telephone line and have a d- dedicated circuit. That's kind of how we do delivery today. And containers allow you to break things down into little packets of boxes that, that move as a unit. And it just, it dramatically increases the flexibility and capacity of the system. So that's really the underlying base behind what we think is the way last mile will be solved is through micro containers and then vehicle systems um, set up neighborhood by neighborhood, tailored to the needs of that neighborhood that's shared by everybody, sort of like electricity or water. Charles, one real quick question on containerization. That was a was a, a, a great um, illustration, but you have two types of containers, correct? Can you explain yeah. uh, briefly uh, the two types of containers? And then I have one other question. Yeah, so one great thing about containerization, because they're broken down into relatively small chunks of maybe 40 to 50 packages, we can actually design different containers for different applications. And so we have a large one, we call our XL box, that's about two cubic meters. That more or less replaces what you would see in a big UPS truck that's just stuffed full of boxes. But if you're doing groceries, for example, where you're just shipping things in, in paper bags, or you know what a lot of people are trying to get to is actually getting rid of all of these boxes and moving to much lighter weight, more reusable packaging, then you need a system that's more tailor fit for that application. So we have a second design that has shelving internally that's designed to basically protect the packages while they're inside. So you can fit in groceries or, or low packaging type bags. And then even further on top of that, we have solutions that can actually allow you to store cold food inside of that system. So basically the contain- the reason we design different containers is they can be um, adapted to unique applications without having to have uh, so many trade-offs in between. Charles, really interesting in terms of the concept between the bike and the containers. Um, Let's get into some of the more detailed aspects of this, um, of urban action. You talked a little bit about urban settings. Is this only yeah. for dense populations? Give me a sense of the warehouses, you know, micro warehouses versus the larger warehouses that we see in more rural areas. What's your right. you know, sort of dependencies on this is a good market for us? You know, it surprised us a bit, but our first deployment of the system was actually in a suburban area out in Burbank, California. It was a lot of single family homes. And what we found is actually this solution is really well tailored for any place you're getting a lot of packages coming in. It doesn't really matter the density of the neighborhood so much as the volume of packages 
that are flowing. And as you know, I mean, many of us now are getting a package or two delivered every day, almost. So, so, and definitely multiple times a week. So even in suburban environments, the, the way you do it is a little bit different. So, so you tailor it for each neighborhood or what we might call a delivery zone. So if you're downtown, let's say Manhattan, then you're going to have some, we'll have some permanent stations set up where all these containers are delivered from somewhere outside of the city and dropped off. If you are uh, in more of a suburban environment, you may be loading this container out of the back of a strip mall, right? Where you have a bunch of stores already that can go fill that container or, or maybe some people will drop containers off there. So it really, you know, the way you kind of set up the, the way stations where all the containers are dropped and the bikes pick them up may vary. And the, the distance that they carry, these packages may vary from like one to five miles. Most of our vehicles can go about 10 miles on a single charge and they swap batteries. So you can really just use them all day. But the topology is a little bit different, but the application is actually really great all the way from urban to suburban environments. Um, we actually think containers will eventually be used everywhere, even in rural spaces. But of course, when you're in a rural environment, you'll probably use different solutions than these bikes. Um, one real quick question, a hub. As I remember when uh, you and I spoke, a hub can be like a parking spot, right? Yeah, with this kind of setup, you're doing all of your packing and your warehousing and everything at, at you know, either at some point of origin. So that could be a distribution, these big distribution centers you, you were mentioning on the outside of the cities. You can pack the containers there. You can pack the container in the back of a store um, or something in, in the city. But once the container is packed, it really doesn't need a lot of infrastructure to support just having those containers at a place where the bikes can meet them. So when we talk about a hub for us, it could be, and, and by the way, all of the equipment's designed to be foldable. So you can fit five of our vehicles in a single parking spot when you're storing them. And so really our hubs can be set up as basically of any parking lot. We can take over a few spots, put a fence around it, and pretty much that works. And, and the reason that we did it that way is because we found that when you're going into city environments, especially very dense ones, and this is especially true, by the way, in Europe, where you know city centers were built way before anything, any of the vehicles we use today existed, you really have to fit into the nooks and crannies around the city in order to provide a really efficient delivery system. So we wanted to have a, a hub set up that, you know, that basically didn't require a lot of specific support. And we could we could optimize it for the flow of packages versus you know where we could find enough storage space and electricity and whatever other you know infrastructure you would typically need for a warehouse. So Charles, you're the delivery. You're not the retailer or the e-tailer or the wholesaler on the other end. Right. How how do you work with your customers? Number one, you know, uh, first just physically, how do they get stuff to you? But also, what are the types of businesses? or the verticals that are utilizing your services? Yeah, so today we have three different types of customers we work with primarily. We have a lot of e-commerce companies. We actually tend to partner with even a little further down the supply chain. So most e-commerce companies, you know, there's a few big ones like Amazon that do it themselves, but for the most part, most big e-commerce companies end up partnering with a what you call a third-party logistics 3PL that may operate a warehouse relatively close to each of the cities. And they will combine all of the different packages or goods coming from an, a number of different retailers into one before they actually do the delivery. 
So we like to partner with customers like that because, uh, you know, they already have those packages coming. All they have to do differently is pack instead of palletizing it, which they normally do put it into pallets for the last leg. Now they just pack our containers and then they put it in a truck. So it's very, very easy for all of these e-commerce companies and retailers to adopt our system because they just go into containers. And actually what they've told us is, is they found using these containers, they can double the throughput of these facilities, which really, really brings down cost. Um, the other vertical we'll look at a lot is groceries. Uh, groceries are very high density. You know, you're probably ordering a bunch of things at once out of your local store. Those tend to be packed directly at the grocery store that's close to where you live. Um, but again, you know, it's just containers, right? So once it's packed, it's all kind of looks the same to our system. And that's where our, our two shelf container that's really built for, for grocery bags is great. And then the third one that we're actually really excited about is campuses. Um, you know, these, these operations like a university campus or a corporate campus, they may house 50,000 people. They operate like small cities and oftentimes face many of the same constraints on space and they want to get rid of cars and, and all of that. And so we find ourselves working with more and more campuses to actually deploy Irby as their primary means of moving everything around, whether it's packages, maybe it's, it's actually catering food, um, repair materials for when they're going to go do work. It's a really great way for them to just have a universal way of moving stuff around. And of course, if you already have a customer that's shipping with containers for these e-commerce companies, then they can just drop a container off at that campus and it gets delivered for them. So, so there's a lot of, you know, kind of compounding effects of each neighborhood adopting Irby, each vertical starts to benefit from each other because you're containerizing. Really, that's the main objective. Charles, last question. Really interesting that, you know, the various, you know, locations and you know, applications here. Give me a sense of the technology solution versus the human factor, because you're still dependent on riders. So number one, how do you access riders? Are they employees of the company's contractors? And then maybe looking into the future, do you see a time when you don't have riders and it's fully automated? Give me a sense yeah. of what you look like today and what you're you know, anticipating to in the future. Yeah, so we see, um, for Irby at least, we see the, the opportunity here is to, fundamentally you're right, that today delivery is mostly about a person taking a package from A to B. And really what we want to do is introduce technology that makes that person a lot more efficient, right? And in order to do that, you know, we, we build out all of this infrastructure. We have the containerization system. We actually, you know, I think one thing we realized is, is one reason it's been so hard for people to move away from vans and trucks is because you actually get a lot of things for free when you buy those, those vans or trucks. You get fueling stations and service and storage and, and insurance and all of that. So when we roll out in a neighborhood, we actually roll out all of that infrastructure, storage, staging, charging, everything. And, and uh, delivery drivers and providers can just access this on demand. They don't have to buy any equipment. They just pay as they go. And then we like to partner with a delivery providers who provide the riders on the vehicles. We partner with people who can move the containers back and forth in, in larger trucks. And then we partner with the 3PLs who package it. So our goal is really to amplify the existing delivery providers, make them a lot more efficient. And in the process, you're delivering this, you know, total service to everybody 
and, and I think it's interesting because that could also include partnering with, with uh, fully autonomous solutions, right? We have companies we're working with on that. We think actually autonomy is, um, is probably over the long run I, I don't know how many times, how often it's, we seem a ways away, I'll say, from getting autonomous vehicles dropping packages at your door, right? There's kind of a, a lot of practical issues there. Main one being that most people don't want to be home when their packages are delivered. They want to just have them come when they come. But, you know, when you think about, say, the Cisco truck that stops in the back of a, of a restaurant and plots up traffic during the day while they resupply, you know, instead, maybe it could be an autonomous vehicle dropping off a container every day. Um, doing real-time supply, or or maybe you know moving these containers between neighborhoods. There are some really great applications that autonomy can do today quite well that could really dramatically lower the cost of getting the you know getting stuff to supply all of the cities we live in. So we're really excited about that as something that you know we think could happen in the really relatively near future. Um, but I don't think it will ever. It will for a long time. I would say ever, but I think there will be for a long time a a place for that delivery person who shows up at your doorstep and just makes sure that you get that package safely when you want it. Charles, really fascinating. And uh, obviously, as it evolves and develops, we'll be watching this. Uh, that is all the time that we have today. Special thanks to our guest, Charles Jolly. And finally, a special thanks to you for joining us on this episode of The Rebound. We hope you'll be with us for the next episode. And for The Rebound, I'm Abe Ashkenazi. And I'm Bob Troublecock. All the best. Thank you. The Rebound is a joint production of the Association for Supply Chain Management and Supply Chain Management Review. For more information, be sure to visit ASCM.org and STMR.com. We hope you'll join us again.